right, all right, day 83. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so man, today we are still <clears throat> in the thick of Second uh, Samuel, and remember where we were last time, right? We left off talking about the sin of David and the way that God was still gracious to David, right? And how that points us to the Lord Jesus Christ in that even in the midst of our own sin, God still keeps, he does punish sin, but he does still keep his promises. And so 2 Samuel 13, there is lust in my man's lineage, right? That's the, that's the thing, that's the big idea here that we see with his son. So David has this son named Amnon. Amnon has desire, lust, and love, quote unquote, for his sister, right? For his sister Tamar. And what happens here is Amnon rapes his sister Tamar. Now, I want to be clear that this is egregious, right? This is terrible. This is the scriptures simply explaining something and not endorsing it, right? This is the scriptures describing a situation, not prescribing a situation, right? And so what happens is Amnon sees that his sister is beautiful and in his lust and sinful and wickedness, he knows that he cannot marry her legally and publicly because of Leviticus 18.7, so what he does is he gets his wise friend, the text is clear, that his wise friend Jonadab um, to allure her into taking care of him while he plays sick and he rapes her. Now, it's so much it's so much going on here. It's so much to unpack. One, Jonadab shows us that we can use our gifts for good or for evil, right? Just like David did with the military strategy with Uriah to get him dead. We can use our gifts to serve God or to serve God. Satan, quite literally, right? And it is unfortunate, and this is a rabbit trail, so we won't go there, but it is unfortunate that some of the most wicked men are also some of the most brilliant, right? And that's a whole nother thing. But here, Jonadab uses his gifts to help Amnon uh, complete this wicked scheme. And it is lust, like we said, it is lust in David's lineage. And his sin, his sin, the point, of, I think the, the point that the text is trying to bring up, one of the points at least, is that his sin mirrors in many ways, not exactly, but some ways, his father's sin, right? So both of them committed moral acts outside of marriage with two attractive women. Both did this in the privacy of their own homes. And both times it brought great grief on both women. And you just see so clearly, man, that being ruled, hear this, being ruled by your physical passions and desires always leads to destruction. It just does. It It is unanimous. It is, you know, um, it is batting 100 for 100, right? Like, um, and, you know, Amnon humiliates his sister Tamar, right? And many people link this with Genesis 34. Why? Well, what happens is Absalom waits two years, um, has his brother, that so Absalom is David's other son, Absalom has his brother Amnon killed. David is like Jacob in Genesis 34. If you don't remember what happened in Genesis 34, I advise you to go listen to the podcast and read it in your Bibles. Um, Jacob's daughter was raped as well, and he was passive, and his sons took over and did something um, violently, right, where they killed the men of Shechem. Here, David's son, 
Absalom does something similar. He kills his brother. And so David, as the royal head of the family, he should have sought to rectify the situation, but he did not. And some say, some scholars think that he didn't because he did something not identical, but analogous to what Amnon did as well. And so what happens here? What's the whole point? The firstborn dies. The firstborn son dies. He was the heir to the throne. And it seems as if already the promises of God are in jeopardy once again, right? And it's really crazy that, you know, in the next chapter, Joab, right? Joab is David's chief commander. Um, Absalom has to flee. So Absalom has to flee from the city. He has to flee from Jerusalem because he killed his brother. He's in exile. Now, Joab comes to David and Basically, he wants to devise this scheme where he gets this woman to come to David, give this like parable like story to convince David to bring Absalom back in the city and make him the heir to the throne. Now, now what's going on in this text? Joab is trying to secure the heir, right? He is trying in his own power, in his own scheming and in his own finagling to make good on God's promises. And we know from history, biblical history, that this usually does not work, right? And, you know, um, uh, Absalom end up, ends up coming back into the city. And it says, the text says that David wouldn't even look at him. Why? Because he is showing his disapproval of his actions and he is not uh, granting acceptance to him, this son, for being the heir to the throne. And it says, the text says that he never saw the king, right? And this was a sign, once again, that he was not to inherit the blessings now meanwhile my man absalom gets reckless right so he sends for joab joab doesn't come joab or he knows that joab is david's uh chief commander joab doesn't come so he burns a field right once he burns joab's field joab comes right and the text mentions too here this verse 25 of chapter 14 no man in all israel was as handsome and highly praised as absalom from the sole of his foot to the top of his head he did not have a single flaw so just showing us and not necessarily telling us that um you know amnon was not the guy fit for the throne for sure but absalom isn't either right and we have to remember the major theme of the book is trying to tell us that we should not be uh looking or or that god does not look at outward appearances but god looks at the heart Absalom is not fit for kingship, even though he was the crowd favorite, even though he won the popular vote, even though he had the charm, right? The text is going to continue to show that, especially in 15. He had the charm, but he didn't have the character. And I think, and I think what the text wants to show us is that um, as God's people, listen, as God's people, we have to be careful that we are not allured away by the charm of leaders and not attentive and concerned about their character, right? That's what Absalom is on, right? He's a wild boy, right? He's wilding. And so um, finally, he pays homage to the king at the end of 14. And then after that, you know, um, it doesn't say that uh, David gave him the throne or that he would be the heir or whatever. And so in 15, Essentially, Absalom is like, if I don't receive it, if I can't receive it, I'm going to just take it, right? I'm going to just take it. And so this seeming subservience uh, and paying homage to the king in 14 uh, was the first scene in a season of rebellion, right? And all along, 
there have been remember in Samuel uh, one and two Samuel there have been these character juxtapositions right where David uh, was juxtaposed with Saul and now he's here for the for the next few chapters is going to be juxtaposed with his rebellious son Absalom and what Absalom does in this text is that he um you know continually uh, acts arrogant you know he's going to enhance his public appearance and his persona outwardly and also deceptively right to win over the hearts of the people of Israel and guess what he wins over the hearts of the people of Israel right he tricks them by wearing a facade of being just when he ironically is trying to seize his father's throne something extremely unjust right and um at the end towards the end of 15 he's going to have this message sent out uh, from Hebron where he was <clears throat> and Hebron, ironically, uh, or, or he's going to say from Hebron that Absalom has become king. That is ironically where David initially became king. And um, in the back half of the chapter, he basically tries to uh, make this plan to to storm Jerusalem, to storm the palace, and to have David killed. Right. So he's trying to kill his dad, and um, David has to flee. So um, we have this uh, kind of crazy scene where we see the pride of Absalom and the corrupting power. Hear this of the desire for power, <laughs> right? Absalom has the corrupting or, or is a victim of or maybe not a victim Absalom suffers from the corrupting power of the desire for power and I think um the text wants to show us that as well that uh the desire for power has a corrupting power and we should be aware of leaders uh that have that complex as well and so he wins over the people right by every earthly measure he looks as if he's the guy and uh the text wants to show us that that our metrics should not be uh worldly and earthly metrics but heavenly and godly metrics as well and so the funny thing is you know you have this kind of uh contrast right so absalom who was once in exile because he murdered his brother is now in jerusalem and david who was once in jerusalem has now went into exile fleeing from Absalom similar to the way he was fleeing from Saul early on and this is stark narrative contrast and this reversal and uh 16 will kind of tell us what's going on between David while he's in exile and his son while he's in Jerusalem and what's so funny is uh you know that one of um David's uh, uh, good friends, right? One of his per his personal advisor, I think the CSB translates it, but uh, really the text uh, in the original says um, his friend, close friend, Hushai. So this guy named Hushai, uh, David tells him in the last chapter, he says, yo, I know Absalom, I know him, fam. I already, I'm already sharp to what he's on. He's trying to come back to Jerusalem, storm the, storm the joint and kill me. So I want you to stay back, right? You, you'll give me, you'll be a headache if you went with me. <laughs> so I want you to stay back, stay back. And uh, Ahithophel, who was my advisor, right? Who was one of my advisors is with him. So I want you to kind of thwart their plans, stay back. And so Hushai comes to Jerusalem at the same time as Absalom, the text says. And now mind you, David, he's David's personal advisor. And so he comes to Absalom and he's going to speak in very ambiguous language. Long live the king. Long live the king. I am on the side of the one that the Lord, this people and all the men of Israel have chosen. I will stay with him. And in the same way, hear this, that Absalom had deceived God's people. He was now being deceived. Right. The ambiguous language is going to prove to show later that Hushai was really working for David, even though it seemed as if he was rocking with Absalom, right? Long live the king, the one that's in exile, right? I am on the side of the war, the one that, uh, uh, I'm on the side of the one the Lord has chosen. The Lord didn't choose Absalom, right? Serve the king's son is what he was on, just as I served his father, right? All small, uh, ambiguous and subtle affirmations that he is still rocking with David. 
And Absalom now is going to hum humiliate his father by sleeping with his concubines. And so you see another reversal, right? Where Nate or, or uh, David slept with a man's wife and Absalom is going to sleep with his father's concubines. And so all this to say, the kingdom seems to be slipping away, right? It seems to be slipping away from David. This is King David who God made a covenant with, right? Who is one of the most famous characters in scripture. And it seems to be that God's promises are slipping from under his feet. Um, and I think too, what the text wants to show us is, uh, God has promised us so much in scripture, but it seems sometimes life seems as if those promises are slipping from up under our feet. And, you know, I think the text as well wants to be subtle, but clear that Hushai man is left back and that David, um, the promises that God made to David, he's going to make good on and so i want to just encourage you today that when life looks contrary just remember that the lord has dealt with much more difficult situations and still made good on every single promise um his batting average is perfect let's pray father we ask uh for your grace uh we thank you for your word we ask that we would learn from your word god be convicted by it but be sharpened by it be straightened by it be corrected by it and encouraged by it lord uh we love you and we thank you we pray lord that we will remember that you have not failed uh on any promise yet it's in jesus name we pray amen